everybody. Welcome to Pros and Cons. I'm here with Selena Hadkin. She's a helicopter pilot with Northern Shield Helicopters. How's it going today? Good, good. I'm still a little jet lagged right now, so adjusting to BC time again. Yeah, what's the time difference there? So I'm living in Montreal, so that's three hours from BC. Yeah, yeah. And you said you're working out of Saskatoon this winter? This spring, actually. So I took my first winter off and I'll be starting back up in April with a new company. So yeah, they're based out of Saskatoon, but actually all over Saskatchewan, all the way up to, there's a base called Uranium City that I've never heard of. And yeah. Cool. So you're working away from home in the spring. Yes, I will be. So I'll be working three weeks on, two weeks off. Oh yeah, that's a nice shift. Yeah, it, it's my first time actually having a shift. Oh yeah, w where what have you done before? Just um, depending on what kind of company you work for, um, this is a little bit bigger. Some mom and pop companies you can basically get signed on for a season and basically live there. Yeah, you get days off when it's a little more quiet, and otherwise you're you're working. Oh yeah, cool. So. Uh, you said you started the program in 2012 to get your license? Yes. So I did that in Abbotsford and at a school called Chinook Helicopters. Okay. And yeah, it took me about five months and I did all my training on a Bell 47, which is the old MASH helicopter. Nice. Yeah, it was really cool. So it's actually their cheapest option, which I'm not 100% sure on prices now, but um, the license cost me about 55 grand I think oh my god in <laughs> yeah. five months in five months it That's was an expensive five months no doubt no doubt so uh what's what's that consist of what do you do you start out in a simulator or something no not at all so it's it's actually quite surprising my first flight um they have the dual controls in so okay. you get to go out with an instructor and yeah like it's it's very hands-on they kind of get you out of the control zone and you kind of bump your way up north up into the mountains and it's absolutely gorgeous flying around the coast but yeah it's they basically kind of get your hands on the controls right away and kind of away you go like I did an auto rotation not all by myself but I mean my instructor shot one for for us and it's just it's very hands-on right away yeah, from the yeah. moment you start so anybody that doesn't know what an auto rotation is it's when you lose power yes. when you're way up high and you can land it with no power. Exactly. So the blades will continue to turn. Um, so it is a misconception that versus planes that if you lose an engine, you're kind of hooped in a helicopter. But yeah. you can actually land completely normal, safe without. As long as you're high enough. As long as you're high enough, as long as you you have enough speed. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's there's quite a few different factors involved, but it is possible to land safe and sound. Oh, cool. The first time I had heard that you need to be high enough here, actually, I interviewed a friend of mine who's a, a first responder for forest fires. Oh, cool. And he had mentioned that they were going to do away with getting out of the plane when it's nine feet in the air or something because it's really dangerous. Yeah, actually, you know what? It, it depends because we, you do auto rotations in a few different settings when you're in flight school. So there is the auto rotation when you're just in a hover. So you're not that high above the ground. Um, it can be five to ten to fifteen feet, and oh you yeah. can still successfully land perfectly fine. Um, yeah, with with the engine kind of cool crapping out. Yeah, awesome. So uh, was it, is it must be pretty cool. First time you get your hands on the controls, hey? It is. And there's there's little milestones while you're doing your license that are pretty fun. Like you'll 
get to go out for your first well actually I guess the first one is hovering for the first time and I mean you wobble everywhere it's it's Mm. not the prettiest thing um and then when you get to do your first circuit so that's when your instructor hops out and then you go around for a little lap come back and land and then let him back in and that's pretty fun so there's lots of little milestones and kind of pats on the back that you can give yourself it's only 100 hours to get your license your commercial license a private license is 60 so it's it goes by pretty quick like you kind of do your 100 hours and then you're technically able to go out and fly commercially for someone cool Mm mm-hmm so what what kind of helicopters are you flying now? So currently with the company that I just got hired on with, I'm going to be flying um, the Bell 206. The there's I've heard of it. <laughs> it's a pretty like it's a pretty common. Well, I want to say common. It's uh, when people think of a helicopter, it's a pretty standard what people think about. Um, so there's a couple different variations of it so i fly the jet ranger and then with this company i'll be flying the long ranger which is um not too different looking um it can seat a few more people and engine wise it just has a little bit of a bigger compressor it's they're fairly similar but you do need um to transfer over a little bit of the training so that's the ones that i will be flying this summer but um in the past i've flown the r44 as well which is a pretty goofy looking helicopter but it's fun to fly cool uh, and what are you doing for work? Um, so this summer, I'm hoping to get on with uh, doing forestry stuff. So hopefully firefighting, doing support, um, mm-hmm. maybe doing some fire watching and then lightning strikes. They usually send a helicopter out to go see if there's a fire after a lightning strike. So I'm hoping to get on with doing support roles in forestry this summer. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Should be, uh, well, if you're, you, you said you'd be in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if they have as many forest fires as we do. You know, it all depends. Like, hopefully, I mean, I don't want, you know, Saskatchewan yeah. to burn this summer, but it does help me for work. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, what's your what what inspired you to go in to be a helicopter pilot? Well, I mean, originally I was going in to be a dietitian when I first. Well, almost the same. I, yeah, almost yeah. the same thing. <laughs> but when I was in university, I I just, I really enjoyed what I was studying. But at the same time, it just didn't really click with what I wanted in life. I really enjoyed being outdoors. And I mean, I never really actually had exposure to aviation growing up. Um, so I was actually kind of into skydiving for a while. And I thought, wow, like maybe I could fly a plane. Like planes look pretty cool. And then a really close friend of mine who I used to skydive with, her dad was a helicopter pilot. And he's, and well, she said, well, maybe you should talk to my dad. You might like helicopters more. They're pretty cool. And yeah. I got to go for one flight uh, with a friend of his. And I think it was like six months later, I did my helicopter license. It awesome. was that kind of inspiring. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you like it, obviously. I do. I do. It's, it's a lot of like ups and downs. I have to say like, <laughs> as it's yeah, exactly. Pun intended. Um, but it, it takes a lot out of you. It's very, like I said, it's financially quite expensive. Um, and it does require a lot out of you. I've moved around, I think like nine times in the last five years for my job. And I've had some pretty crazy experiences with companies and I had to spend three years on the ground as well. So I didn't get to jump right into the flying seat as soon as I finished flight school. I had to wait three years working at a few different companies to kind of work my way up into the flying seat. So you have to be patient. What were you doing uh, when you weren't in the flying seat? So the first company I worked at, I did, I was just like a secretary. 
so I did, you know, like administration stuff and every now and again, I, some of the pilots would let me go out for a flight with them, but yeah, and they were pretty slow with work wise. So I got laid off right away and then I have done ground crew, um, aerial application, like when they do spraying and cut blocks. So I did okay. ground crew. So I drove a big mix truck and I filled up the helicopter with fuel and m- chemicals yeah. And so I did that and then I've done dispatching and flight following. And then I've also done, uh, what is it? Surveillance technician. So pipeline surveillance, um, you have the pilot and then someone in the left seat and you're basically there to kind of report what's going on on the pipeline. So I've done that job as well. Okay. So a lot of different roles before actually getting into the flying seat. Yeah. All in the industry though. Yes. All yeah. in the industry. So good work experience, even though you weren't in the in this in the in the seat with the stick is yeah. it a stick <laughs> yeah it's a stick yeah cuz there's a lot to learn outside of just the flying and they can't teach you everything in flight school in 5 months so i think some people are at, at an advantage if they're say like a little bit more mechanically inclined um there's a lot to learn on that end and you know just basic ground stuff like how to tilt a fuel a drum up you know like yeah. as a girl you can you know, struggle a little bit with some of the heavier tasks, but I mean, there's techniques to doing things. So yeah, lift with your knees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> lift with your back. <laughs> cool. So, what's your uh, your goal as far as this? Like, where would you like to end up? Um, I I'd like to try a few different things in flying. Um, it's always so hard because there's certain jobs that are really cool and interesting. Like heli skiing is absolutely amazing oh no doubt but i don't know if i'd really want to do it because it's pretty scary i've heard some some terrifying stories from buddies of mine and well you probably get uh tourists that have no idea what they're doing don't care about procedure don't care about any of that right yeah that's exactly it so you have people that are paying a ton of money for a one-week experience and there's a lot of pressure on the pilots to say yes and um these people are not super understanding when you say hey like we can't go out today the weather is terrible so luckily like everybody who i know has done well and hasn't had an incident or an accident but it's you struggle with weather you struggle with client pressure you struggle with um like a lot of like flying in the mountains is a whole other thing on its own well altitude probably hey yeah altitude winds um visibility like everything is just kind of working against you i think on like i've heard on a beautiful clear day heli skiing is the best job but on a that's super (laughs) rare it seems like so oh yeah yeah so i mean heli skiing would be pretty cool um i'm really excited to kind of work in forestry this summer because i've always wanted to work along firefighting Mm -hmm. and um I'm going to be getting trained to do long lining this summer. So that's having, you know, like a hundred foot line underneath. And I'd love to get into like water bucketing and stuff. So, um, yeah, so that really interests me. And I think long term, though, I would be interested in getting into something like RCMP, flying for the RCMP or maybe um, city police. Okay, cool. Yeah. Or even air ambulance. I kind of like more of a... It, it supports a good cause. Yeah. And um, it's a little more stable too. You can eventually live in a city and um, stay there. Stay there. Have a, you can even have like a pension benefits. That's pretty rare for helicopter pilots. Like you're yeah. usually um, contract and you lack kind of the stability and the benefits of, of having a normal job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Cool. So uh, 
what's involved in like you say you're gonna learn longlining is that like another certificate you need to go get or um it's not per se like a certificate but you do have to get signed off for it so it, it depends on how quick you pick it up like I did some short lining last year when I worked in a tree planting camp so we had like a 20 foot line on and we'd um sling boxes of trees to the cut blocks okay um so i mean that's its own little skill set and it took me i'm just trying to think probably about five hours of flying to get the hang of it and long lining is kind of the same kind of thing like it it'll take however long it'll take to kind of pick it up i'm hoping around that same time yeah cool and that you said that's around a 100 foot line yes oh yeah 100 plus so what else do you uh put on the long line besides uh, a <laughs> bucket <laughs> Um, lots of things like you can do precision drill moving. Um, you can bring in equipment to people, um, uh, more experienced stuff you can do is class D long lining, which is when you actually have a, a living person on the other end. So that's for things like yeah. rescue missions. So it's that's pretty crazy. Uh, like you, you can do a lot of things with the long line. A lot of stuff can happen. I mean, I even know just using cranes on job sites, right? I mean, yeah. when there's that much line. The, the wind just pushes your load around so much when it's 10 feet off the ground, never mind when you're flying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's, and that's one thing, like for me, it's very intriguing and I'd love to try it, but it's one of those things where some people have a natural talent for it and that shouldn't discourage anyone from trying it. But at the same time, there's some people that pick it up super fast. Some people where it's like, eh, it's not their strong suit, but yeah, I'm really excited to, to try it. Cool. Uh, I had another question. Mm -hmm. How does like the te day temperature of the day change how the air like gets thicker and thinner? What's uh, the effect on your your uh, unit? I guess I don't <laughs> know your. So, well, basically, like it affects. Um, it can affect how much weight you can carry in a day. So the machine enjoys like in in more simple terms, a cold day makes it a little bit easier on the helicopter to run at maximum performance once it starts to get hot and especially humidity can play a big role as well as heat oh yeah um hotter uh, more humid air the engine doesn't perform as well so it can affect things like what altitude you can climb to it can affect um how much weight you can carry um okay. so things like that so it's just it's mostly it how the engine performs though exactly not uh doesn't have much to do with the rotors and how they react with the air no not really okay. i mean there's some things that like say if you're flying around the ocean the the um the ocean air like the salt present can can erode away at the equipment so there i don't know if you've ever seen like youtube videos of like tuna boats they'll have like an md500 out flying around and they're kind of looking for i think fish in the ocean or whatever so okay. Um, I know they have to wash their machines religiously because of the salt wearing okay. away at the parts, but it's, um, it, yeah, the heat, I mean, don't quote me on this. Yeah. It's more so how okay. it affects the engine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew, I know it would affect, uh, performance of, of, uh, internal combustion engines Yeah, and they're all internal combustion. Hey, you guys use turbines on anything? Well, yeah. So the 206 is, and most of them actually are, there's only a couple pistons. So the 44, the 47, those were piston helicopters that I flew. And then the 206, the turbine. Oh yeah. And cool. then most of the other ones are. So yeah. Yeah. Modern day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just know from like, uh, well, anything working on cars, snowmobiling, dirt biking. I mean, if it's really cold, everything leans out and runs like a hot rod, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's the same with helicopters. And I mean, there's, 
it's quite surprising sometimes at how how limited they are like the 206 um the machine that i fly a lot it challenges you a lot in the sense that you can't load it up and expect it to actually go anywhere there are times where you're in a confined space and say you put too much fuel on board or you have too many people on uh, and you don't have enough say room to get a good kind of running start and gain momentum and get into translational lift you sometimes will pull collective hit a hundred percent wait there and realize you're not going anywhere wow and it's funny sometimes because you think hey like this thing can do it it looks like a crazy beast but (laughs) oftentimes it flies like a pig yeah yeah (laughs) cool so uh, how much stuff you got going on in your cockpit ah well i mean once you kind of get going it's it's pretty easy like when you're flying around like you've got a little bit of radio work to do um once you have your power setting set you can actually take your hand off the collective um the collective collective being uh your power so that's okay. on off on your left hand side you usually have your cyclic in your right hand and then you have your collective in your left so that's your and power cyclic lunch. cyclic yeah so that controls um your swash plate so it's what drives you forward okay and then your collective is your pitch of your blades and that's what gives you power okay cool yeah see now nobody knows <laughs> i didn't know any of this i'm uh but i don't i don't know much so. this is very basic helicopter 101 <laughs> <laughs> cool cool so what uh, what should anybody know that uh, wants to go into the industry um well i would say patience is a big thing there's some people that get a lucky break but i think uh the industry definitely has a lot of people that love aviation and you definitely need a bit of a drive like a uh to keep going in it because it definitely can throw you some curveballs yeah. the moving can be pretty hard um I know a few of the guys that I talk to are married and have kids and, you know, it's fine for me to be away for three weeks at a time, but it's hard when you have a family. So there's definitely things to consider when you're going into it. I know a lot of people think we also get paid millions of dollars, but it can be a little, uh, a little slim sometimes. And, um, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, do you get paid for like while you're hours flying type deal? Yeah. So you usually get, um, a salary or a a day rate and then you get paid on top of that? Usually, um, a a wage for flying as well. But if you're not flying much, that's a big thing. So your salary can be pretty small. Yeah. Um, and then, and that's the hard thing is that if you have a very slow summer in terms of hours, it can affect your paycheck a lot. It can be half, if not more of your paycheck. Yeah. Cool. So you had mentioned you were going to work around fires and stuff. How does that affect your uh, flight? I mean, there must be some pretty turbulent air around a forest fire. Um, I have not personally worked around fires much. The only thing that I've ever kind of encountered is just, um, I wouldn't say turbulence, um, but your visibility can be quite low. Um, we were actually getting a lot of smoke from BC last spring and we were flying as low as half a mile visibility um, in the smoke. And it's quite, um, it's quite eerie flying around in that. And depending on how big of a fire you're working on, there can be say six helicopters all working within a small area, say bucketing water to the fire. So coordination with the other helicopters can be pretty, well, it is extremely important because you're not able to see much. So you have to, make sure that you're aware of what's going on so i definitely find that's probably 
the biggest hazards of of working on a fire is being aware of who else okay. you're working with, poor visibility, um, long hours. I've heard of guys uh, long lining for ten hours in a day. You know, like, and you definitely start to yeah. Well, you're under stress out. all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It can be pretty intense. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So at half mile visibility, I mean, how fast are you going? Not very fast. Like you're maybe, I'd say you're probably cruising around maybe 60 miles an hour. Like it's pretty slow. And if not less than that, like luckily where I was working around when it was low visibility, I knew the area quite well. I I flew pipeline around there. So you get to know your area pretty well. And I mean, the biggest things, and sometimes you run into them in the middle of nowhere are um, towers um, can just pop up, especially on um, when you're working in Alberta, there's a lot of lease sites that have towers and um, you can run into power lines because uh, we're not very high above the ground. Like we're maybe a couple hundred feet, if not lower. So yeah. you're definitely at the mercy of towers, power lines, everything. Cool. Well, seeing adding to the stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, like I said, if you're flying customers around um, during conditions like that, it can put a lot more pressure on you too. So yeah, it's it's a lot to worry about. Cool. Well, kind of. Um, <laughs> uh, What's your top speed? Like, what's the ideal conditions? Um, like <laughs> when you're really hauling ass. I was gonna say, there's a a speed that you can't exceed, but I've never, I've, I haven't gotten close to it. Unfortunately, like I said, the the machines don't, helicopters aren't built to fly fast. So yeah, on a good day, I usually. I can go about like one 120 miles an hour. Miles. Yeah. You guys do everything in miles? No, we do them okay. in knots as well, but okay. I, I prefer miles an hour. It's, it's kind of personal preference. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Like in the, the first machine that I flew the 47, um, one of our routes out to our training area was, uh, alongside highway one. Okay. And if you have a crazy headwind, it'll obviously affect the speed that you're able to go. So you could, you'll have your indicated speed and then your actual ground speed so your indicated speed could be 100 miles an hour but if you have a say like a 40 mile an hour headwind you're only doing 60 exactly so when you're kind of chugging along the highway you'll have cars going faster than you oh yeah it was pretty funny sometimes yeah i would never thought that (laughs) no no but we go pretty slow yeah so you're using imperial uh measurements uh do, what do you use for like uh your altimeter is that in meters or yards that's in meters see that's in meters and you're using oh miles sorry an correction hour. that's in feet okay yeah but still yeah imperial measurements what's the that's the thing it's it's all it's a little backwards so that's the thing sometimes when you get um like you'll look at manuals that you'll have for different helicopters and there's a few different ones that are made in europe so when you're metric exactly so everything everything's different kind of thing it's like when you go between canada and the states like you'll yeah you'll notice the difference in in systems that they use so it's pretty funny yeah no i uh i find a big difference too i mean uh, i when i worked in uh mechanical and whatever Mm -hmm. construction all the carpenters want to use standard like inches and feet right yeah everybody else wants to use uh millimeters because they're like you know how many millimeters is it this many you know it's and hard doing those conversions off the top of your head like for me personally i use um gallons like yeah. u.s gallons for fuel but um there's some people that use pounds and pounds are nice to know because it's good to know how much you can burn off uh, but i use gallons when i'm filling up or some people use liters like it's literally all over the map in yeah. terms of what you want to use you guys don't have a cheat book uh, we do, but 
how you want to like use that you know like when you're in a pinch for calculating numbers kind of quick yeah. like it can kind of be a pain yeah, see we always had a cheat well the 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 journeyman always had cheat books i didn't have my own cheat book but yeah we have like little cheat numbers that we can remember like uh, for fuel burn we have for every machine's different obviously but say like for my machine there's kind of a rough number of what you can kind of calculate if you're trying to figure out like a how much do you need on board if you're going flying for an hour and a half? Like we have little, like we have kind of quick reference numbers like that. So yeah. How yeah. much fuel do you burn? Um, depending on how much power you're pulling, I'd say you know, anywhere between like 25 to 30 gallons an hour in the mm-hmm. 206. They're all different. So that's pretty uh, substantial. Yeah. And I mean like the bigger helicopters, it's crazy. They burn so much. Or even when you start getting into planes, like yeah, the amount of fuel that I can put on board like my helicopters how much they burn and who knows like an hour so yeah, it's yeah. pretty crazy uh what kind of fuel do you burn jet a or jet b oh yeah and what's that that's just like a really high octane so in the r44 and like the piston helicopters you use abagas and then um yeah and then the the 206 and the other most of the other helicopters Turbines. Are, yeah yeah jet a jet b so cool you're uh, starting in the spring, and mm-hmm. will how that'll how long will your season be? So, my contract says uh, till September 30th, um, but that all depends. Um, if they have extra work, they'll ask you to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's usually about um, I think pretty standard to be on for six months. Oh yeah. Yeah, like it's it would be nice to have full time work, but I'm actually enjoying having winter off. Like it's nice to take a break from helicopters because it's. It's a little demanding at times. Well, like you say, I mean, stress, right? Mm-hmm. Got to be pretty stressful. Yeah. Cool. So uh, what do you do when you're not at work? When you're back in Montreal, <laughs> what's the thing to do? There's, uh, well, I mean, it's winter time right now, so you're limited to wintry stuff. It's quite cold out there. So I've been kind of exploring the city. You know, there's lots of museums. There's lots of, um, you know, good restaurants, cafes. All that kind of French sounding stuff. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's been good. And I've been trying to I, I've gone down to the States once and over to Quebec City and to Toronto. Like it's it's kind of cool taking advantage of the other things that are around Montreal as well, because I'd never been to Toronto before. So it was pretty cool. Like, cool. yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of I, I like relaxing a lot. I'm, I'm definitely a Netflix <laughs> person. So <laughs> nice living on poutine. You know what? I actually haven't had poutine yet, which is crazy. But Isn't that where it came from, Montreal? Yeah, yeah. So I haven't tried any poutine. I bet you if you really wanted to, you could find a place that has the first poutine on the window. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Nice. So uh, what's it like living there compared to here? I mean, other than the fact that it's big. Um, There's definitely a lot of um, a lot of potholes. <laughs> a lot of More dri- than here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so many more. And there's a lot of bad drivers. Hear that, people in Prince George? Yeah, the potholes are worse in Montreal, and the drivers are absolutely nuts. I have, it's like, I don't see why they have lights on their cars, like in terms of changing lanes. Like, no one uses their lights. Everybody speeds like crazy, and they're very aggressive. Like, you get cut off all the time. So, the driving has been a little bit different, and um, obviously the language... Yeah. is or like the language barrier is a big issue for a lot of people and there's a lot of animosity between the french and the english still so i mean it's it's pretty it's funny i find that hard to believe i mean if i 
you go, I hear about, well, I haven't gone anywhere. You hear, <laughs> I hear about my friends going to other countries and like, they don't speak the right language when they go there. I mean, you know, and everybody there is more than happy to like learn sign language to communicate with you. But you go in your own country where it's dual language and they don't like to, if you don't speak good French, they're, I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I was telling you earlier about how I speak French yeah. fluently, but I have a different accent. So I'll speak French when I go into a store or something and they'll still, they'll switch to English even though I'm not struggling. So it's kind of like they want you to speak French their way. And yeah, um, yeah like it's actually they had recently passed, I don't want to say it's a law, but I mean, when you're coming into a store, whoever is working is not allowed to greet you in English, only in French now. So that's what? how, yeah, so it's crazy. <laughs> so they're they're trying to crack down because they, they feel like, oh, the English are taking over and we need to really push back. So there is something as simple as that where like you can't walk into a store and be greeted in English technically. Wow. It's, that's uh it's eye opening compared to coming from anywhere else, like anywhere else in Canada, like you don't run into these kind of barriers and it's it's weird to get used to it because I'm used to the same kind of thing. Everybody's like super friendly and no one cares like what language you speak. Like yeah. And in Quebec, they're extremely, you know, like they're very proud and they're very, um, they're very big on preserving their culture. Are they the same way with other people that uh, like speak other languages, not English? Like they, you know, I haven't really run into that. There are some, like anywhere, um, there's noticeable um, division between um, like different different languages and different groups in Montreal. So, I mean, I'm sure there's like, you know, say like Vancouver, there's Richmond, which is predominantly um, not English speaking. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like that. Like people who probably speak a different language and live there are probably stick to their own communities. Yeah. Um, so I haven't personally seen it myself, but I imagine that... I feel like they're probably not super warm towards anyone. Like it's kind of hmm. French or bust. Wow. All right. I've, uh, but I've heard lots of good things. So. Oh, it's beautiful there. Like summertime is great too. Like there's a million and one things to do there. So I'm excited to spend um, a summer there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll be working. I'll be working, but at least I get a, th uh, right. a schedule this year. So right, that's, right. that's a huge bonus for me. That's a really good shift. It is. Yeah. And luckily my company is, um, will fly me in and out for my shift, which is good. I don't have to relocate for like to Saskatchewan for the summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least you can like see your neighbors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three <laughs> miles away. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, is there anything else we should know about uh, your work, your industry, anything? I mean, not really. I mean, anybody who is kind of interested in it should at least give it a try. I mean, it's, it's lots of fun and I know um, people want to do it for different reasons. Like I said, you can always get your private license. Um, it doesn't always have to be commercial. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot better than planes. What do you think it caught with a lot <laughs> better than planes? Uh, you going to tell your boyfriend that? Oh, he already knows. Yeah, that. he already knows. <laughs> uh, um, oh God, I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh, what turned you away from uh, planes to helicopters? I think it was kind of the, the style of work. I liked more of kind of working out in the bush. Um, uh, the idea of, like I said, working in forestry seemed super appealing to me. It just seemed like there was a lot more, uh, I want to say variety. I just, I kind of liked the, the nature of the work more. It was just 
um, very hands-on. Um, you have to be kind of quick on your toes, like the environment, everything is changing. And I liked that a lot. And I liked also the aspect of being able to do things like long lining and yeah, cool. I mean, that's pretty variety unique. of work. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Even, yeah. even if it would, if you didn't like one thing, you could do something else. But when you're flying a plane, you're flying a plane. Kind of, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. Like, I don't know too much about planes. I mean, I really think it's cool when they're part of the firefighting, like the bird dogs and stuff and yeah. um, the water bombers. I think they're that seems like a pretty cool job. But yeah. that's kind of where it's almost as cool as helicopters. <laughs> well, there you have it. Well, thanks for coming on. We're getting up there. Uh, appreciate it. No, thanks so much we, for having me. We had a good, uh, good BS. Learned a lot. And... Uh, to all six people listening, <laughs> uh, don't forget contest. I think it's up next week. I don't know the exact date. Uh, $50 gift card to anybody who likes and shares on Facebook and subscribes on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you want a second entry, oh my God, I can't remember. I've been slacking. Uh, if you want a second entry, send me an email with what you didn't like about the episode or somebody you'd like to have on. I'll have all the information on the description. Thanks again, Selena. And, Thank uh, Thanks, everybody.